0: Welcome to Going for the Green. I'm your host, Mike Leone, for this week's edition. I'm here with Colin Drew to break down the memorial at Muirfield Village. But before we get into that, a quick recap of the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial Country Club. Kevin Na was the winner. Tony Finau, my boy, again, the bridesmaid with a T2 Uh, The main discussion in DFS Twitter this week, though, Colin, had to do with Jordan Spieth and his putting, because for a second week in a row, he putted extremely well. He was over seven and a half strokes gained putting on the green. And over the course of a year, the best golfers are rarely, you know, they rarely average plus one stroke gain per round. So... Even if Spieth was the best putter in the world and we knew it, we'd still expect this recent stretch to not last. It'd be like half of what he's done recently. So he's just been running insanely hot. And it seems like DFS Twitter doesn't do well when there's a guy that has some like outlier events a few times in a row where they really want to believe that. Uh, there's more to it than just variance, and then you get the other side. Uh, we're more on the data, you know, pure data side of things, and uh, it tends to cause some conflict.
1: <laughs> yeah, it got pretty heated. I, I feel like speed. It's uh, not just people. Generally, are a little down on speed because he's a little on the whiner side, and. Uh, then Jason Rosalind, who does golf content at Osmo, is like a Spieth truther, and he's always just so obnoxious on Twitter whenever Spieth is doing well that you have to, you have to argue back the other way. Um, I would say I, I kind of feel the same way as you. I, I don't think anybody out there is saying Spieth's a bad putter, even if he does kind of return to his previous career best, though. It's still an unsustainable little run that he's on between the Byron Nelson PGA Championship and then the Colonial last week. So as somebody who is fading Speeth, it didn't go very well. And I think the other part about it is that, like, the way that the event set up last week, almost all of the top-end golfers beyond Finau flamed out. And so that made his performance, which didn't end up being that good by the end of the week, it made it feel like he won the event. Because for DFS, as, as one of the higher-owned, higher-priced golfers, you really did need him, along with Finau, to contend, especially if you're using the full salary cap, which most people did, Paul Casey had withdrew with the flu after opening strong in the first round. So that was obviously very tilting for any Daily Roto subscribers. Justin Rose almost finished outside of the top 60. And then you had a bunch of big miscuts with John Rahm, Ricky Fowler, Bryson DeChambeau, and Xander Shifley. So uh, all of that just made like the speed tilt that much worse.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh let's move on from the speed tilt and get to the memorial at Mirfield Village, par seventy-two, just under seventy-four hundred yards along. It's only thirtieth in difficulty, so plenty of birdies and DK scoring to be had here. It's a hundred and twenty-man field due to the invitational, so a high percentage of the field is gonna make the cut. Keep that in mind. It's twenty-first in tour on tour and par adjusted distance, twenty-fourth narrowest fairways. A lot of the tee shots restrict your ability to overpower the course. So you need some precision, you need some accuracy here, and that kind of meshes with when you look at the data golf and their course fit and their graphic that they have on their course history page talking about what drives the variation in scoring. And you see that nearly 40% of strokes gained via approach Uh, happen here. And it's on tour, the average is like 35%. So the variation in shots gained approach is something that's been pretty impactful here in the past, Colin. And the course history here also seems like it matters a little bit more. Uh, We have it as one of the five strongest signals of any course on tour as far as predictive power. So Uh, Definitely uh, an interesting week to look a little bit closer at both course history and course fit.
1: Yeah, and I think it it makes sense too with Jack Nicklaus being the uh, tournament host and having this be his event and just the way that he kind of thinks about setting up golf courses. And um, it, it shows up. So it shows up in the data as far as the course fit. It shows up in the history as well. So I think uh, some of that can eliminate. It, it's not just narrative, I think. Um, this week, I think there is a little bit more to both course fit, course history. Uh, some of the guys that have extremely good course history. So DataGolf released a new tool, uh, DataGolf course history tool. You can access that on their website and they kind of talk about the individual bumps that they would make to players. Uh, giving more of the benefit to guys who have done really well at the course over a long period of time versus guys who might have just popped up. Uh, Once or twice in some of those names that uh, check the course history box is definitely Matt Kuchar with the strongest course history relative to his baselines of any player. Uh, They would boost him uh, almost a quarter stroke per round. So a stroke over a full stroke over the course of an entire event above his baselines just based on how he's done here previously. So that's definitely a big one. Uh, Probably the name that would come up the most, though, relative to the guys you rarely think about uh, any other week for DFS would be David Lingworth, who has the second best course history relative to his baseline at the time that he played those events.
0: Yeah, and Tiger has five wins here, which is pretty wild to win a a tournament five times. Uh, You've also got Tony Finau been on a couple of good ball strikers who don't putt as well, uh, making the list here, Kyle Stanley. Uh, are another name on the list of guys that they would bump in terms of their skill per round. Um, mm-hmm. Let's move on to the DraftKings breakdown, Colin. And up top, we've got two golfers above 11,000 Rory and Tyre, the big names. If you extended the 10,000 range, you've got Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, and our boy, Patrick Cantley, who just keeps performing well. Someone that Data Golf and Daily Roto has been on for quite some time now and has really been rewarded for that especially the last couple of majors and what's interesting he jumps up here into this 10k plus price range and outside of rory we have him as the second best value and he fits rosters a little bit better than rory just because it's easier to get a 10-2 guy in there than starting with 11-5 but we do have rory with the highest win probability on the week by a decent bit at 8.6%. Everybody else is sub 6%. So uh, Rory is the guy that uh, the data golf model likes most all the way up top, even though he is pretty
1: expensive. Yeah, that definitely a uh, hefty price tag to pay for Rory this week. But because it is an invitational where a higher percentage of guys are going to make it through to the weekend – uh, perhaps it's a little bit easier to get him into lineups um, Well, without sacrificing too much else. And so I think because of that, Rory is in play for tournaments. I think he's a, a strong building block. Um, obviously, the if you want to take the course fit angle, a, a little bit of his uh, benefit is kind of peeled back because you're not able to leverage the driver quite as much as you would at other courses. But it's, he's still a really strong approach player. Um, Tiger, I, I feel like, is just overpriced for me. and it, It'll probably be that way for the foreseeable future, um, just off of that strong finish at the Masters. Uh, the DK pricing algorithm is so aligned with betting markets and especially with outright markets that don't take two-way action. So uh, because of that, you know, Tiger's going to be inflated in those markets for a long period of time. His price is always going to be up there. And so in a field like this that has so much strength, I think for me, it's pretty easy to play Rory. Over Tiger, if I am going to spend above 11k, um, and I'm probably still only going to play Rory in you know 20% or so of my lineups at uh, the 11.5k price, just because it, it is a pretty loaded field this week. It's it's the last event that people like are really going to use to tune up for the U.S. Open. I know we have the RBC Canadian next week, but uh, you can tell by the names in this field that a lot of people are using this one as their tune up.
0: Yeah, and our you know, initial optimal lineups do have a lot of balance builds, so not as much, even as much as the model likes Rory in a vacuum. A lot of the builds uh in early optimals are with guys, you know, taking multiple guys in this nine K range, which we're gonna get to the high eight K range, and then that way you don't really have to jump sub seven K with uh your golfers that are priced below the average cost. Of a spot, and let's look at this 9K range. There's a guy that we love in the 9K range from the pure data standpoint, and a guy that we hate. The guy we hate is the controversial Jordan Spieth. Just have him as really overpriced with uh, the fact that the T to Green game really hasn't been there. We don't see a lot of validity in some of the recent performances, just because, as we noted in the intro to this, uh, even if he putts really well, he, there's no way he can putt as well as he has the last couple of weeks. And now you've got him priced at 9900 Not going to be chalk, but you're not going to get a, a good ownership discount on him either with the strong recent performances. The guy that our model loves, and this is one that you might have to tweak a little bit from a pure data standpoint, is Justin Thomas, who returns from a wrist injury, wasn't able to play in the PGA Championship.
1: Yeah, so uh, first on Spieth, I guess just to add a little bit more color um, to like his season, he was obviously going through a, a lot of struggles earlier in the season. That stuff's going to be in the data golf model for a long period of time. You could decide if you wanted to, given his like five-year track record, that you're willing to take more of a gamble on you know short-term him finding something. But even if you're going to do that from the T to green perspective, it's basically been break even. So I think if you were going to take Spieth and say – you know he's going to be an elite putter the rest of the season. Maybe he's going to gain like 0.8 strokes per round or a stroke per round, and he'll be break even. TD Green, I, I think that starts to put him as like a fringe top 20 player in the world. I think it starts to put his projection like into the range of Bryson DeChambeau and Adam Scott and um guys like that. So if you wanted to bump Spieth in the model, like I feel like you're just bumping him into chalk, but. But that would be the type of player that maybe at the the kind of like highest upside, um, I would kind of compare him to if you're going to take a gamble on the short term form. Um, and so I, I guess that's probably how I'll handle Spieth. But I think the ownership will kind of end up knocking him out of play a little bit. It'll be curious to see where it lands. He did end up a lot higher owned than I had projected last week as people were definitely willing to to kind of jump in on the, the short term form there. Um, Matt Kuchar, another guy that in our default model, we're not including any course history in there. Uh, the data golf work did find that he has the best course history in the entire field. Um, I w- I would consider that roughly equivalent to a two and a half DK point bump. So when I go through to run my numbers, um, I'll probably end up bumping him like two or two point five DK points, and that's definitely material. He gets into lineups as is um, at his current ninety four hundred dollar price on DraftKings. Then you add a little bit of the bump for the the course history here and the the course fit, knowing that he does his lack of length is not uh penalizing him here. And I think Kucher becomes even more ingrained in that conversation. JT How are you
0: dealing with JT given you know he has such a gaudy projection. This is a price tag that normally you'd love to jump on, you know, one of those guys in the low nine Ks with Kucher, Jason Day, Hideki, Xander, you know, even Bright and then we, you know, we get the high eights guys, which we'll talk about in a second that you can load up multiple guys from this range is jp jt gonna be a guy that you own a lot or are you scared by the wrist injury it's always tough for me when you get a situation where the price tag's so favorable for a guy like then then how do you balance it with some of those macro concerns when a guy's like a little bit overpriced it's easy to kind of just wave them off and deal with it another week but you definitely have to confront the decision this week
1: yeah you for sure do um So I I guess the first thing is just the, is he a WD risk? I think is the first question I'm asking myself. Um, It seems like no, at least as far as like a mid round or mid event WD, I guess there's always a chance of a re injury, but he withdrew pretty like early as far as the PGA championship. Um, And I think if he was going to do that again, he would, he would do that for this event and he wouldn't kind of line up and then just decide the day of to to pull out. So I feel like if he decides to play, it's because he feels like he's healthy enough to to play and wants this to be the first round he gets under his belt before eventually playing at the U.S. Open um, and the giving his wrist some time to recover or whatever from that. I guess the the bigger concern is like just the practice. You know, he wasn't healthy enough to play in those events. So um, a lot of these guys have been playing week in, week out, practicing. Otherwise, maybe a week off here or there, but um, playing kind of every day. And so is he going to be rustier He was already kind of showing some of the effects um, in his underlying strokes gained approach numbers after the wrist injury at the Honda, and he was kind of playing through it. And so his finishes were solid, but definitely not spectacular. I'll plan on bumping JT down quite a bit before making my runs, maybe as much as um, like four or five DK points. I still think that's going to put him in play for tournaments. It's just going to put it like slightly over the market opposed to a guy that is just a lock play.
0: Yeah, as I said... Uh, with some of the balanced lineups, you can build a lot of options in the low nines, but it extends into the high 8K range where you've got Bryson DeChambeau, Gary Woodland, Adam Scott in particular uh, in the high 8s, those guys that you reference bumping Jordan Spieth's overall projection to. And you get these guys at likely lower ownership, at least as a group, than Spieth, and you get them at $1,000 cheaper, which is another reason why it's, it's kind of tough to buy into that Spieth price tag, even if you are a believer, but... Uh, any favorites of the Bryson, Woodland, Scott trio there that's sitting atop the 8K range?
1: Uh, it's, it's all pretty close there. Um, I, I would definitely be comfortable letting ownership play a, a pretty big angle. And it seems like relative to uh, the projection and the ownership, perhaps you're going to end up getting the, the best balance on Adam Scott. Um, and so I guess he's the if I was just only able to click in one of those three guys, then I think Scott would be the guy. I like Woodland the best. I think when you talk about the course setup, as far as being a course where he can club down off the tee and then being able to kind of dial in his approach game where he does rank inside the top 10 in this field. Um, and then the putter being a bit neutralized here, which is one of the things we kind of glossed over in course fit. It's not that it doesn't matter, but it might represent like 20 to 25 percent of the strokes um, deviation opposed to like 30 or 35 at another event. So all of that is definitely another notch kind of in the Gary Woodland um, belt. I would say like data golf has loved Gary Woodland and Patrick Cantlay for a long time. And it seems like the market's coming around on those two. There are certain other guys that data golf has loved for a long time that uh you know people haven't either caught up to or or haven't played as well but those are two guys that seems like are projecting to be really heavily owned this week so um as a one-off maybe pivot from woodland to scott but realistically i'll end up having woodland in a lot of builds i also like stenson a little bit um in this event I, i do think that his underlying metrics as far as strokes gained approach have really turned around since the early start to the season and over the past six or seven events he's been Uh, really dialed in so i think that stenson is another player that i would be pretty comfortable targeting in this range i think his ownership will be kind of in the mid-teens
0: yeah and the lower 8k range doesn't seem to be quite as valuable there are not as many guys in the low 8k range high 7k range so even the balance bids are excuse me the balance builds are kind of like these hybrid balance builds where you're getting three you know mid-high tier guys, you know, in the low nines and, and high eights, but you're not necessarily building, like, these uber-balanced lineups with everyone um, in the 8K range or high eights and, and high sevens. Uh, in the high sevens, there are a few guys that start to pop a bit more valuable in the low 8K range. I know our model uh, likes Lucas Glover quite often. Um, I should mention, you know, Kevin Knott at 80. <coughs> 400 coming off the victory, probably not going to be very owned, but it seems like that he got a hefty price bump.
1: Um, yeah, so, he, real quick on that, he actually just uh, pulled out of the event, so he's gonna he was celebrating, I guess, after oh, his, he was celebrating his a little victory, too so. hard.
0: So we get a WD on uh, Kevin, uh, so don't have to worry about him. So, um, yeah, it's, that's probably why he's gonna be pretty low well owned,
1: yeah. And then the the kind of yeah, like the mid to high tier, the 7k range definitely. Is an attractive place because it fits all sorts of different roster constructions. You know, it can be the fourth or fifth guy onto your team, and as far as balance builds or balance contrarian builds, or it can, um, yeah, be if you're going a little bit more stars and scrubs, then it might have to be the the third guy that you put onto your team in some cases. And definitely a lot of people that check the the TD Green boxes that seem like they'll matter this week. Um, you know, Keegan Bradley is a guy who's done well here in the past um and is the guy that projects as one of the better outright values uh lucas glover you're kind of paying a little bit more for a similar golfer perhaps that'll lead to a little bit lower ownership uh for him and then ben on i think um i think he'll end up being pretty popular by the time block rolls around right now i have him just under 10 but uh feels like based on just his his reputation in the dfs space that maybe that could go up a tiny bit but um, all of those guys are guys that i'm Looking at early and just going to try to wait and see how the ownership shakes out to decide kind of where my final stance is on them. All
0: right. As we move down the pricing spectrum, you know, given that it is the invitational setup, we do like the balance builds better, but you can take some chances in tournaments on some studs and duds builds because it can be easier to get guys through the cut. Uh, Who are some of the, you know, the cheaper guys that you see as viable, you know, kind of when you see saw between a top heavy lineup build that starts with Rory, who's balancing out that roster for you that you're firing in tournaments?
1: Yeah, I, I think the first place I try to cut things off is guys who have like 15% odds to T20 or greater. Some weeks when I'm running MME builds, I'll go up to 20% or something like that. Um, but I guess one of the one of the interesting things will be where David Lingmer's ownership ends up being. Uh, I think he's a pretty easy fade if the ownership holds above 10%. He's just 6,300. We talked a little bit about his track record, but he, he's not the same player or the same caliber player that he was then. So even though he's in this event at that price and could carry some ownership based on his course history, I think uh, it's a guy that I'd kind of hold off on right now. Um, I think that like 6,500 is kind of the threshold where you see like used Luton from the Euro Tour or Sungjae at 6,700. Um, he's going to be a really interesting case. I'm, I'm very curious to see where his final ownership ends up, just because uh, game's fallen off a tiny bit over the past few events, but he was playing so consistently earlier in the season, and we, we have him with 17% T20 odds, a guy that if he has kind of rested up and is back in form a little bit, um, I think would check a lot of the boxes as far as being able to gain strokes in really any of the different facets. Um, accurate enough off the tee, good on approach, good around the green, all of that stuff, I think, sets him up to be a really good value. So I um, want to dig into him a little bit more as far as like rest and all that. But he's one of the first guys that I'd be looking to pair up with like a Rory build or, or even to finish off some of those balanced contrarian lineups.
0: All right. One and done. Colin, you've been running the run and, do- run and done teams for me, you, and Dink this year. And you did pretty well the last segment. So kudos to you for making good on my investment. Uh, looking at this segment... You know, what are the options that you're sort of toggling
1: through? Yeah, I've definitely fallen off a little bit in the, the second tier. So is that I feel why it... we
0: haven't been getting as, consist- as consistent of updates?
1: <laughs> Not as many updates. Yeah, it's probably somewhat to do with it. I think the, the two things to consider, um, one is obviously the like ability of the golfer to win the event. Uh, the second one is the purse, though. And so the memorial does have one of the biggest purses and one of the biggest purses specifically to the first place prize at one point six million. Uh, compare that to a major, which is a, a, like just about two million in, in most cases. And then a regular event, which is one point two. And uh, this is up there as far as one of the events where you would want to consider rolling out one of the higher caliber golfers with a little bit more. Win equity and and so I think um, from a strategy perspective, that's what I'm thinking about. It's pretty deep in the season, so a lot of people uh, aren't going to be able to choose from every golfer. I think that if you're playing catch up, a lot of the people ahead of you will have already captured like a win from Rory um, at the Players and a win from Tiger at the Masters. And so targeting one of those two players could give you a bunch of leverage um, as far as trying to play catch up and, uh, for like the full segment. And then if you're going to go with, uh, a little bit more of like a, I guess like an optimal approach as far as trying to use guys on the courses that fit them best, that I think Matt Kuchar would be the best, um, from, from that frame of mind. So those are a couple of the names that I'm thinking about for one and done. Um, and then kind of beyond that would be just trying to think of like a contrarian guy who's, Uh, live to win um, but might not carry very much ownership and so like if you wanted to take a gamble and you're like really far behind maybe like Justin Thomas or someone like that if you want to get in early on him uh, I think those were yeah those are kind of some of my initial one and done thoughts is it's definitely interesting and it's very dynamic at this point in the season because it really just depends uh, where you're at as far as being live for the segments versus being live for the overall prize and you should definitely alter your strategy to account for that
0: yeah, and then looking at some of the high expected value bets for this week, taking advantage of the data golf betting tools in terms of outrights, it's hard to find, you know, anyone with win like true data golf win odds of 2% or greater that are still an ev value bet after the rake so you're looking at more of you know pretty big long shots with the exception of justin thomas but at that point you have to be pretty confident in the projection and uh, with the health that he has he's one of the few positive expected value bets with you know, a decent chance at winning this DataGolf has him at a 5.9% chance. The long shot that DataGolf likes the most, Collins, Keegan Bradley, you know, pegging him with about a 1.5% chance to win the tournament, whereas the FanDuel odds on him have it, you know, more as like a 1.2% chance on him. You're getting him at plus
1: 8,500. Yeah, and... I like that from a value perspective. I think it makes sense. Your comment on JT's dead on, that's it, one of the things where if you're looking at a model to make bets, you got to be able to layer your opinion on top of it. And so I think there's enough risk there that um, I'd be comfortable crossing JT off as far as the betting card. Uh, Charles Howell III was another one of the guys that is up there. Um, guy who doesn't win very many events, but he's definitely one of the better ball strikers in the field. He's at 110 to one odds. Data golf makes him closer to 85 to one. So uh, some decent value on CH3 uh, relative to that. Uh, the underlying uh, the finish T20s numbers
0: too, he's also pretty positive expected value. Yeah. If you want to take a, a little bit of a lower risk bet. Um, I, I When we were betting a little bit more frequently, I know the T20s was where I really honed in on stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you could definitely put like a... Um, like a quarter of the unit size as far as the outright bet and then, and bet like a normal amount on the T20 where it's definitely there. I mean, he was live uh, at the PGA championship for a little bit, kind of ended up falling off the the Sunday. There was disastrous for a lot of people, uh, but I do think his form doesn't look very good at all. And so I'm going to be en- curious on CH3 from a DFS perspective because he had the uh, miscut at RBC heritage and Wells Fargo pulled out of the Byron Nelson. But, um, Wilson actually had some some info that he wasn't really hurt there and then uh, flirted with the leaderboard for a while at PGA Championships. So uh, CH3, I think, is a decent outright bet as well.
0: All right, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Going for the Green. Make sure you check out all the great data golf tools on com slash premium. Thanks, Colin, and best of luck to everybody in all your games this week.